Welcome to Study Gateway's First Listens, where you get first listens to the first sessions on Study Gateway so you can find your next video Bible study. Hi there. I'm Shelley Leith, your host here at First Listens. And before we get started, I want to flag something that I'll tell you more about later in this episode. But I want everyone to be aware that by just listening to this podcast, you get a 20% discount on any subscription plan at Study Gateway for the life of your subscription. I'll give you the promo code in just a bit, but right now, let's jump in and start talking with John Eldridge. Welcome, John. Hey, Shelley. Nice to see you today. Thank you. We are in season five, which is all about summer self-care. And in this season, uh, we are hearing sessions from Bible studies that offer ideas for us to be kind to ourselves, to attend to our needs, and to find ways to live a better life. Today, it's my joy to talk with you about your book. Um, uh, well, I'm going to cut that for a second. Today, I had the joy of talking with you about to get your life back. Um, you are the author of the classic book, Wild at Heart, which I want you to know, John, our couple's Bible study went through that book together. Because oh, nice. us wives wanted to know what made our husbands tick. And it, it was such a great experience. We're probably not the first couples group to go through Wild at Heart, but, uh, but we, we really, really enjoyed that. We thought we were quite innovative. That's awesome to get, just help the ladies understand this, this thing called a man. Yeah. Exactly. It was, it was great. Okay, so John, if you were to introduce yourself to our audience, but you could only talk about who you are and not what you do, what would you say? Okay, so to a beautiful little group of small people, I am Poppy. Oh. We are in the grandparent stage been married to Stacy for 40 years. Um, we love the outdoors. We love jumping off cliffs into rivers and canoeing and yeah, um, love to travel. We raised three uh, sons who are now young adults themselves, forming families of their own. But I think probably one of the most helpful things to know about me, I'm a product of the 20th century, like most of us, but I couldn't take it anymore. And so I have adopted the life of a monk. Oh my. So I am a 21st century monk. Okay. And, and do you want to, are you going to be explaining what you mean by that as we, as well, we, well, yeah, we're going to get into it with these practices. Uh, all right. Well then let's, let's go. Okay. So the reason that I chose get your life back to feature in this season called summer self-care is first the summer tie in with one of your five practices, which is called getting outside. Now, Getting outside is not just for summer, but it evokes summer for so many of us. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But the other reason I chose this study is because I think the message of Get Your Life Back has important implications for our optimal self-care. So to set this up, first, talk to us about the big lie of technology and how it is antithetical to self-care. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> so yeah, never more, never more than today. So the promise of technology over the last 30 years was that it was going to give you more margin. Your life was going to be simpler. Your life was going to be easier. You'd have all this time for your friends and for dinners and to take walks. And um, it, the lie is now technology is asking us to live at the pace of a smartphone. 
<sighs> and, and it's just, it's the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And it's literally, um, Nicholas uh, Carr wrote a Pulitzer winning book on how it's literally rewiring our brains. And so it's shortening our attention span. Like you find yourself kind of irritable and a little distracted if you're not scrolling. If you're not clicking, if you, you know, yeah, the quick like, the quick swipe. So the lie was that it was going to give you this wonderful life of, of margin and leisure. And instead, you, you are taking in more information in a week than would crash a laptop. <sighs> and it's just rough on the soul, folks. Wow. Wow. Um, okay, so to come against that lie, you have laid out these practices that we can engage in that take care of our souls. So tell us first about the one minute pause and about the app that you've created to help us practice that. Okay, I love this because it's so simple and everybody can do it. Like one minute, 60 seconds, like you could do this. But it began like this, Shelley. I, I would pull in the driveway at the end of a day and just find myself fried, you know, scattered, too many things in my mind, I shouldn't have sent that email, oh my gosh, I forgot to answer that phone call, all that. And what I began to do was turn the engine off, but I wouldn't get out of my truck. Mm -hmm. Instead, I would just sit there for a moment. <clears throat> what I felt Jesus inviting me to do is 1 Peter 5, verse 7, cast all your cares upon him, because he cares. And so I would just sit in my car, I'd sit in my truck, and I would say, Jesus, I give you that meeting. Hmm. I give you that email I probably shouldn't have sent. Hmm. I, I give you the person I disappointed today. I give you my kids. And I would just begin to offload hmm. 60 seconds. It was just a pause. It's quiet. There's no music. I'm not listening to a podcast. I'm just sitting and I'm letting things go. I'm practicing 1 Peter 5, verse 7. And it became so life-giving to me that I introduced it to my family, I introduced it to my staff, so it's really fun. Every day in our offices at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., monastery bells ring out. Oh, wow. It's very interruptive, it's very intrusive, because if you're in a meeting, you're on a phone call, everybody knows we take 60 seconds. Everybody stops and you release everything. Hmm. To God. You, it's recentering. It's centering prayer. You just let it go. Find God again. Find your own soul. And as I did this in the driveway, see, the, the thing is, is that it was a very different man who walked in the front door then. Mm. I, I was able to be present to my wife. I was able to be present to these precious grandchildren. I, I was able to enter into like a human life instead of just spending the rest of my evening completely spun up yeah, by my day. So the one minute pause, and then it got so popular in our little group of people that we built an app around it called the one minute pause. <clears throat> and the funny story of that is, the one minute pause is a very simple thing, everybody. It's free, it's on the app store, iPhone, Android. And it's, it's lovely music, it's my melodious voice. Uh, <laughs> guiding you through a very simple practice of learning to pause each day. Now, we built a one minute, we built a three minute pause, we built a five minute, and my team said, you gotta put a 10 minute pause in. I said, gang, I can't convince people to stop for 60 seconds. 
Okay, that's how crazy the culture is. Nobody is, no one is going to take this seriously if I say take a 10 minute pause. Right. It became the second most used feature in the app. The 10 minute one? Yes. What? Oh, because the thing is, it, it's addictive oh. because it is so soothing. It is so wonderful. And so here's a fun Jesus story. We're not an app company. We don't build apps. We built this right before the pandemic. Oh. This app launched in January of 2020. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> and then, I mean, we've got half a million downloads because during the pandemic and the quarantines, people needed to like come down from the news, the stress, the fear, you know, all that was going on. So we built new features into it over time. It's lovely and it'll save your life. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And, and I heard a, a reference to the monastic lifestyle in, in, in that story, the, the bells and the twice there a day. There you go. That's exactly. Awesome. Yeah, what it, what it is, is it's learning sacred rhythms, mm -hmm. healing rhythms to your life mm -hmm. that pull you out of an adrenalized culture, right? That everybody's just living amped up. You know the biggest? You walk into like a 7-Eleven, you walk into a convenience store, you need to get a bottle of water. The biggest section in those refrigerators are energy drinks. Mm -hmm. Monster, Red Bull, all that stuff. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like we have to keep ourselves in this constant state of amped. Uh, and it's, oh, it's not good for the body. It's not good for the soul. There's a, there's a better way, everybody. There's a better way. Get your life back. Get your life back. All right. The next practice that helps us get our life back is benevolent detachment from technology. So benevolent detachment brings to mind benevolent dictatorship. And I was wondering if you were drawing a connection there. Did you see technology as a as a benevolent dictator that we what? need to detach from? Yeah, it's a brutal taskmaster, isn't it? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it is. You know that teenagers right now spend seven hours a day on their phone? Seven hours? Seven, seven hours. And it's wow. not that different for grown-ups either. We, we, yeah, we just all become so caught up in it. Wow. Okay, so the practice of benevolent detachment <clears throat> is so wonderful. And it's very simple. It goes like this. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. And so whatever it is you're carrying, the heartaches, the burdens, um, because as you get off of technology, what, what you can find is God. Mm -hmm. like, he's right there. He's right there. Um, and you can begin to offload. So benevolent detachment, benevolent because I'm not angry, I'm not cynical, I'm not saying I don't want to be with you people anymore. But detachment because we are way too entangled in the world, way too entangled. Um, your soul was never meant to know the heartache of the world. Hmm. Like you just weren't, only God has that capacity. But every day we're just used to hearing about the wildfires in Australia and the sexual scandals in Congress and the boom, 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 boom. And <clears throat> like you got to, at some point in your day, I recommend bedtime is a really good time to practice this. But, you know, as part of our bedtime prayers, Stacy and I just say something like this. Jesus, we give you our kids. We give you our work. We give you the news. We give you the latest shooting. Mm -hmm. Lord, we just can't carry that yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. and, and learning benevolent detachment, oh my goodness. 
because as you, it was Augustine who said we must empty ourselves of all that clutters us so that we might be filled with that which we are empty of, which is mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. okay, so as you offload, as, yeah. as you just learn to go, I let it go. I let it go. I give it to you, Jesus. That meeting I just walked out of or that really hostile phone call, I let it go. Mm -hmm. I let it go. And what I ask for is you. I need you to fill me again, God. And so benevolent detachment, you can do it on the plane. You can do it in your car. You can do it as you walk out of a meeting. It's really life-giving. Wow. Wow. Okay, we have time to talk about one more of the practices. Okay. And this one's my favorite. Okay. Getting outside. Tell us about that. Okay. Nature heals, everybody. Mm -hmm. Nature heals. Beauty heals. Beauty heals trauma. As a young therapist years ago, I was fascinated to see that people who had been through particularly traumatic events or as we were uncovering childhood trauma, they would gravitate toward beauty. Mm. They, they would want to go to the park uh, and take a walk. They, they said, I just need to get to the ocean. I just need to sit by the, by the sea because beauty has this incredibly soothing effect on our lives. Oh, the uh, French uh, impressionist Monet said he wanted to create paintings so beautiful that when people beheld them, they would have the assurance that everything's going to be okay. Oh. Isn't that lovely? Wow. And so you wanna fill your lives with beauty. You wanna fill your lives with nature, like an evening walk, sit on the deck. And again, what you're doing is don't turn on Netflix, Right? Yeah, don't listen to the news. But instead, um, as we get outside, we're letting God's creation back into our lives to heal and nourish our souls. It is so wonderful. Yesterday, I heard the first hummingbird um, oh. <clears throat> back here in Colorado mm -hmm. after winter. And it was just so joyful. It was like, yes! <laughs> oh, that's, that, and that is life-giving. It that. is. It's so, it's so good for the soul. Yeah. Okay, wrap up by telling us the last two practices and and what you have seen in people's lives who are able to get their lives back through these five practices. Okay, so we've talked about taking, learning to pause in your day, learning to pause. We've talked about benevolent detachment, learning to let it go, just lay it down. You can do it for 60 seconds, folks, yeah. really, you can do it. <clears throat> the power of beauty and by nature, by getting outside if you can. Mm -hmm. We talked about unplugging. You really need to get off. I would three minutes of news a day, folks. You don't get the basics. Of course, you need to be informed, but you don't need like 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay, we talked about unplugging. The last thing I want to say is the power of union with mm -hmm. God. So this is the, like the classic prayer posture. But if you take your fingers and you intertwine them, this is a picture of union. Mm -hmm. The human soul is actually made for union with God. Uh, not just faith, um, not just obedience, but, but actual intimacy, union. And it is the presence of God intertwined with our being that gives us life. And learning to practice union, you, you ask for it. You say, I need union with you. And then as young places in you show up or anger or fear or, you know, you just say, okay, Jesus, right now in this moment, I ask for union. And you mm -hmm. can even do it with your hands. Like, I pray for oneness. I pray for union. Because the whole thing about the technology and the crazy and the pace of life is, it is eroding your union with God every hour. Mm -hmm. And so every day, 
you know, maybe at dinner time, somewhere in my day, I come back and say, oh, restore my union with you, Jesus. I need oneness. I need union. Because then he's able to care for you, heal you, strengthen you, give you resilience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So people that practice these practices, what are you hearing? Um, mm. What are you observing in, uh, in people that are actually putting this into practice in their lives? Well, I, I think I have to start with myself. I, I am a much kinder person now. Oh. Because when I'm fried, mm. I, I don't have margin for people. Mm. I, I, like in traffic, you know, yikes. I, like it, it, it brings you down into a place where you can love better. You can be more present to people mm -hmm. as they're talking yeah. to you. You're not finishing the email in your head as someone's trying <laughs> to tell you something, you know. <clears throat> but I think the most dramatic, Shelley, actually, we began to get thousands of reports now, particularly on the One Minute Pause app, because it's so, it's so right there. Sure. Um, it, it's literally saving people's mental health. Wow. It, it, it is bringing people out, people who are in cancer and they're in deep stages of chemotherapy, they're using it every day to help them after their treatments. Like oh, yeah. it is rescuing folks. Wow. It's, it's just an incredibly beautiful God story. Wow, I love that. Yeah. I'm so excited to be able to share episode one with our listeners. And I just want to thank you so much for being with me today, John. Thank you. Yeah, this has been delightful. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for telling folks uh, about the series. It's, it's going to help. You're, you're welcome. And now I am so pleased to present session one of Get Your Life Back called The One Minute Pause. Earlier this year, we had a new addition to our family, a Cavalier King Charles puppy named Quincy. One of the sweetest animals I've ever known, but also one of the most emotionally needy. He has to be with his people all the time. Since I'm the early riser in our home, I would get up first to let him out and then try to feed him breakfast. And I found something that was a little bit funny to me. I was first trying to feed him in our pantry. I would just put his food in his bowl. And the problem was if I then walked out, Quincy would follow me. He had to have me in his sight at all times. Even though he was hungry from not eating overnight, it was more important to him to be close to me than it was to have his hunger needs met. So the only way I could get him to eat was to literally stand over him as he ate. And it was funny. I even took a video of it to show others. He would take a bite and then he would look up over his shoulder to make sure I'm still there with him. And then he would take another bite, putting his head down and then look again. And his passion to be with me, even over his natural physical hunger, reminded me of David who said in Psalm 63 1 that he longed for God that he thirsted for God in a dry and weary land where there is no water in the middle of a desert where you would naturally find yourself to be very thirsty and very hungry David says his greatest need is still spiritual to connect with the almighty God and it makes sense when we're invited and we find our greatest needs met in relationship to such a wonderful, glorious, affirming God. 
We were created to find our highest, truest, and most intense delight in God. So why is it that we often consider quiet times or devotional times to be disciplines and burdens instead of a delight? I don't believe it's the who. We were created to know God. We were designed to find our highest desire in Him, who He is in His wonder, His grace, His majesty, His love, His affirmation. It can't be the who, which got me to think, maybe it's the how. Maybe the reason we have difficulty setting time alone to be with the Lord is because of the how, the way that we're taught to do it. I thought of this one time when I was working on a project and the person actually had a reservation to meet with Billy and Ruth Graham for dinner and suggested maybe I should just bring you along. Now the problem with that is I already had a plane ticket set to leave and I'd have to postpone that. And you know how it goes with airlines. They're like, sure, we'll send you here for $300 and if you change your ticket last minute, it's only another $1,000. But you know what? I didn't care. I'm going to whip out the credit card on that one. The chance to meet with Billy and Ruth Graham, I mean, two enormous influence in 20th century Christianity. It didn't matter to me what it cost. This was a one-time opportunity. The other problem is I had already appointments with other people, and those would have to be canceled if I came home late. But you know what? Again, I thought, you know what? I could go to any one of my friends and say, it was Billy Graham or you. I chose Billy Graham, (laughs) and I think any one of my friends would say, Gary, I think you chose wisely. Now, as it turned out, I didn't get to have that private dinner. Some other things came in and made it impossible, but I was so convicted going home from that trip as God showed me that I didn't care how much it cost to meet Billy Graham financially. I didn't care what appointments I had to jettison. I didn't care who I might disappoint. I felt like the chance to meet Billy Graham was was worth that. And yet every day, one so much more glorious than Billy Graham, such that Billy Graham would be all but invisible in his light, one so much more knowledgeable and wise in, in every way, wants to meet with me, wants to meet with you. And the opportunity to have that, why do we look for excuses to get out of that meeting? Again, I believe it goes back to the how. I believe it's because we've developed a one-size-fits-all prescription for quiet times. In fact, even calling it a quiet time defines it in a way that might be harmful to some people in their pursuit of God. They're, They're best not pursuing God in the quiet. And the problem with the one-size-fits-all quiet time is that God doesn't make cookie-cutter Christians. We're made very differently. God is a much more creative creator than that. One of my favorite Christian classics, the author talks about how everything in creation is but a shadow of the fullness of God. All of creation has its own little limitations. A couple examples he uses is this. While the blackbird has an incredibly beautiful voice, they're not much to look at. And the peacock, perhaps the most beautiful bird in the world, has a voice that, man, when you hear that screech, you want to cover your ears. It's painful. 
or you could look at something like trees. Fruit trees are wonderful if you're hungry, but you can't build a house with fruit trees. Then you go to the trees of the forest, you're not gonna find anything to eat, but they're perfect for building a building. In the same way, every person has their strengths and their weaknesses. God is a master creator and gardener, which means there's not one kind of person or even one kind of soul any more than every human has the same color of hair or the same color of eyes. The fact that some people even have hair and some people don't. When it comes to tending the garden of our soul, we could look at it like this. God treats us like individual flowers. Some flowers need lots of water to flourish. Others, the same amount of water would drown them and could ruin them. Some souls need lots of sun. Others do better in the shade. They're better to be houseplants. So if we want to learn how to tend the garden of our soul, we have to recognize it as an individual enterprise. That's not to discount the communal nature of our faith, that it's so essential that we meet together. But when we're talking about those individual times of meeting with God, it's helpful to know that what feeds your garden could drown another. What nurtures your soul could be a distraction to someone else's, which means how we devote ourselves to God, the way we relate to him on a daily basis will be very different. Over the past 25 years at Sacred Pathways has been out, many people, including myself, have found tremendous freedom in our own pursuit of God, released not to measure up to someone else's prayer life or study life or worship life, but set free to do it on our own way. The other thing I've noticed is that there's been an increased understanding for others. When small groups have gone through this, they invariably tell me, now I understand why he always wants to do this or why she's always suggesting that. I didn't come to this diverse notion of how we relate to God so differently very easily. In fact, God, frankly, he had to break me down. He did it in some creative ways. It began when I fell in love with a wonderful woman who had a great relationship with the Lord. I wouldn't have been interested in her if she didn't, but who related to God very differently than I did. Even back in college, I was a morning person and I still like to get up early. And the woman that eventually became my wife, Lisa, was very much not a morning person. I would get up and have my quiet time first thing. I thought God is a busy God. He's off running the world. If, if you get sleep in past seven, he might be off solving a crisis in China or Russia or something like that. But Lisa was the kind of student who would basically roll out of bed just in time to get to her first class, go to her classes. Then she would come back to the dorms. She loved to go up onto the roof of the dorms where she could get some sunshine, lay in the sun, and she would call that a quiet time. And in the flirty way that college students do, we weren't yet a couple, I would say, oh, come on, Lisa, get serious. Who goes up onto the roof at noon, sits in the sun with their Bible, and calls that a quiet time? Well, she couldn't say anything. She didn't know how to answer until two weeks went by. I was in my dorm room and I heard this knock on the door and I opened up and Lisa just smiles, walks to my desk, opens up my Bible to Acts chapter 10, verse nine, and reads this verse. About noon the following day, Peter went up on the roof to pray. There's no way that could be in there, but it was my Bible. She didn't plant it in there. And it was just sort of a funny way of realizing 
that different people have related to God in different ways with different exercises. I love it when Gary tells stories where his wife was right. We're listening to the first session of Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas. And as a bonus for our listeners, we have unlocked this session on Study Gateway. So you can go there and watch the entire first session for free. Sacred Pathways is published by Harper Christian Resources and it streams on Study Gateway. For our First Listens listeners, when you use the promo code PODCAST15 at studygateway.com, you'll get any size of plan for yourself, your small group, or your whole church at a 15% savings for life. And for a complete experience with Sacred Pathways, take advantage of our publisher direct pricing on the Essential Bible Study Guide designed to be used with the videos. This study guide gives you the discussion questions for your group and the personal exercises to dig deeper into the scriptures on your own between sessions. Get all the details at studygateway.com. And now, let's return to Gary Thomas. That opened it up just a wedge, but it blew open when I became a father. I have three children, and all of them have such different personalities. My oldest daughter, Allie, is a classic introvert. We would spend time, she'd love to listen to programs where people were solving relational issues, or we'd sit in a Starbucks and she'd just imagine what people are talking about. My son Graham, as he was growing up, he was very competitive. We loved to play sports together. We would watch sporting events. My youngest daughter, Kelsey, was the classic extrovert. We would do fun things and we're often laughing. And here's the thing I realized as a dad, I loved having a different relationship with each one of my kids. I liked doing different things and nothing would have hurt me more or grieved me more than if my extroverted daughter, Kelsey, thought she had to be like my introverted daughter, Allison, for me to enjoy spending time with her. Or if my extroverted son, Graham, thought we had to cut out all the competitive stuff because he saw me doing entirely different things with his sisters. I loved having a distinct and different relationship with each one of my kids, even to this day. Now, I had to receive my kids' personalities because God created them. Imagine our Heavenly Father who gave our kids those personalities, who gave us our personalities. And when we learn to worship Him according to the way He created us, we're actually acknowledging His good work as a creator. And so the moments of marriage and parenting were sort of my aha moment that it's not only free, it is good, it is a delight to God that we learn to relate to Him according to the way He made us, according to the way He made me. I didn't have to measure up to my older brother who was a committed believer, my boyhood pastor who led me to the Lord, who baptized me, my campus pastor whom I looked up to so much. They had their own ways of connecting to God and I could learn from them. But I realized that I would have an individual, unique pathway of relating with God. The same thing is true of you. Now, I don't want you to base this on experience. We shouldn't base the Christian life simply on anybody's experience, certainly not mine. 
But what happened is that personal experience opened up my eyes to the truth of Scripture. That the standardized quiet time that I held people accountable to in college and taught them how to do it and when to do it and even where to do it, it really had no basis in Scripture. In fact, once my eyes were opened, I was willing to admit how every major character in Scripture seemed to have particular ways of connecting with God. There's Abraham. Whenever he would meet with God, had a significant meeting with God, he would often just set up an altar and then go somewhere else. You don't see the building of these altars commanded. You don't see very many others doing it, which is sort of Abraham's thing. He commemorated a significant meeting with God by building an altar. And then there was David. He fought God's battles. He was a warrior. And at the time, God needed a warrior. But at the end of David's life, he wanted to worship God by building a temple. And God came to him and said, no, David, you were my warrior. Nothing wrong with being a warrior. I needed a warrior at this point in time. But your son Solomon will build the temple. And what struck me reading this was that God was telling a father, your son will have a very different way of relating to me. He'll worship me differently. He'll serve me differently. Then you jump forward into the New Testament and you see Mary sitting quietly at Jesus' feet, soaking up his wisdom, just wanting to stay in his presence. Can you even imagine Jesus looking at Mary and saying, Mary, would would you just quit staring at me with those doe eyes? It's kind of creeping me out. I mean, look, if you really love me, why don't you build one of the altars that Abraham built? Those were really cool. Or why don't you go fight the battles like David did or at least offer the sacrifices that Solomon offered? No, Jesus commended her form of worship, sort of a contemplative style. Throughout scripture, different people worship the same God in different ways. And one of the shocking things about New Testament worship is that as important as it is, as important as relating to God individually is, there's almost nothing in the scriptures about the how, how we should do it. Individual worship, it's all about the why why we should worship God and who we're worshiping. That's so very different from the Old Testament. There were elaborate rituals in the Old Testament, very specific instructions. In the New Testament, there's a few things about corporate worship when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, but almost none about how individual believers set aside time each day to relate to God. So the question arises, If from the very beginning of the church age, God saw fit to not mandate the how of individual worship, why should we? It it doesn't mean the how is unimportant, just that we can explore the how with tremendous freedom and delight. And for me, one of the big things that Sacred Pathways did in my own life is to unleash the power of desire and teach me to learn to ride the wave of delight. The reality is most of us do what we like to do. And so if we want to devote ourselves to the Lord, where we're doing something daily, regularly, it just helps if we enjoy doing it. I'm all for discipline. I think it's impossible to be a faithful believer without discipline. But I realize that desire is just 
important. It, it's like exercise. If you really want to be faithful to exercise, find something you enjoy doing, whether it's playing volleyball, whether it's going for a run, whether it's playing basketball, going for a walk. If you find a form of exercise that you look forward to, you're more likely to do it certainly more often. The same thing is true of individual worship. If you're having a hard time connecting with God, rather than saying, maybe I'm just not into God, say, well, I'm just not into the way I'm trying to connect with God. And thankfully, there are many various ways that we can do that. So in this study, we're going to look at nine different pathways, sacred pathways. You could also call them spiritual temperaments. Now, let me stress at the start. The nine pathways isn't about finding a new box to put you in. I don't want to take you from the quiet time box and put you in a sacred pathway box. I believe we can be blends. And I've talked with many believers who have said, well, in earlier in my faith, I, I feel like this was the pathway I most preferred. And then I kind of grew into this. And then I, I grew up into that. There's tremendous freedom in exploring the pathways. But here's the purpose. When we know where we best connect with God, and we find ourselves empty spiritually, particularly hungry, when we just really need to meet with him, it's helpful to know this is the window through which I often see God most clearly. Another thing I want to say in this first session is that some people might say, well, this sounds like a lot of self-absorption. And isn't the faith about loving others and serving God? And I understand that. But see, this is what helps us love others and serve God. Because I believe there's two realities that we have to address that are so clear. The best kind of ministry, the ministry that honors God, that advances his kingdom, it flows out of friendship with God. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19 And just as ministry flows out of friendship with God, Sin flows out of alienation from God. The pathways are really the foundation to keep us focused on others instead of ourselves. because good ministry flows out of relationship with God and sin flows out of alienation from God. I have a therapist friend, he's got a line I just love. He said this, if you're not worshiping God, you're addicted to something. It might be people pleasing, it might be food, it might be adrenaline, it might be spending money that you don't have. In the end, you're using people instead of loving them. And you're trying to replace that passion for God with a passion for something that's created. So another way of putting this, if you're not walking in your worship pathway, you're very likely falling into sin. And so scripture gives us a great invitation. In fact, this might be, I'm not, I'm just saying, may not be, it is the best invitation you will ever receive. James 4.8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you look at it in context, and I encourage you to do that, James isn't talking to non-believers. He's talking to Christians, those who already believe. And he's just saying to them, look at what Jesus has made available. If we will just draw near to God, he will draw near to us. He wants to be a big part of our life. He wants to empower us. He wants to comfort us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to love 
on you. And it's James' a plea, just draw near to him and watch him draw near to you. The sacred pathways are simply nine tools, nine windows, nine ways that you can begin to draw near to God and receive from him. We know from this, God isn't reluctant to be a huge presence in your life. He tells us in his word, just take a step. Draw a little bit near to me and watch how I cover you. The rest of this series, The Sacred Pathways, will simply be your invitation to do just that. To gain new delight as you relate to this marvelous God. To experience new freedom that you can love God according to the way he designed you to love him. And new respect for others as you understand that everybody has a different way of best connecting with God. And we can learn from each other instead of judging each other. That we can enlarge our own experience with God by welcoming the ways other people experience God. We're going to break the pathways up into three groups. We're going to discuss the pathways of wonder in session two the pathways of contemplation in session three, and the pathways of action in session four. All designed to help you understand where you take that first step to draw near to God. enjoyed this session from Sacred Pathways, a video Bible study by Gary Thomas, published by Harper Christian Resources and streaming on Study Gateway. And if you go to studygateway.com, you'll find this first session of Sacred Pathways is unlocked and accessible to you to watch in its entirety for free. Here at Study Gateway, you can find your favorite authors, pastors, and Bible teachers all in one place. We're the only streaming video subscription service that offers plans for individuals, small groups, and has user-based pricing for churches, no matter what the size. And don't forget, you can use the promo code PODCAST15 to get a 15% savings on the plan of your choice, and that discounted rate lasts as long as you keep your subscription. With Study Gateway, you also get a direct link to our store where you get publisher direct pricing on the Essential Bible Study Guide for Sacred Pathways. This study guide with its exercises and projects and discussion questions helps you get the most out of this study. Is Sacred Pathways going to be your next study? Get started right now by going to studygateway.com, click Start Free Trial, and use the promo code PODCAST15 at checkout. Make sure you rate and review this podcast so other people can find this show too. And join me next time when we'll get to explore another wonderful place and discover something new along the way.